Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, to inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This season is generously supported by NCWIT and CRAWP. The National Center for Women and Information Technology, or NCWIT, is a nonprofit community that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the influential and meaningful participation of girls and women in technology. And the Computing Research Association's Committee on Widening Participation in Computing, or CRAWP, endeavors to increase the success and participation of underrepresented groups in computing research and education at all levels. Welcome, everybody. Today we have an extra, extra special guest, Dr. Carlotta Berry. She is someone who we have been eyeing for the podcast for quite some time. So glad to have you here today. Dr. Berry is the Noir Steminist. She is the Endowed Chair and Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Rolls-Holman Institute of Technology. Her self-proclaimed claim to fame is, I bring robotics and STEM to people and people to robotics to STEM in order to diversify engineering. And that's what we're all about here at Modern Figures. A little bit of background, she got her PhD from Vanderbilt in electrical engineering, specializing in robotics. She has a master's in controls from Wayne State University. I thought I was the only person that knew where Wayne State was. <laughs> her, bachelor, her bachelor of science is from Georgia Tech in electrical engineering, and she also has a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics from Spelman College through the Combined Engineering Program. Her area of expertise includes educational mobile robotics and enhanced human-robot interfaces. So if that was not cool enough, she also does recruitment and retention activities for underrepresented populations in electrical and computer engineering. She also helped to found the Rose Building Undergraduate Diversity Program, or Rosebud, that she also co-advises. Dr. Berry also helped to start and currently co-directs the Multidisciplinary Robotics Program. She's the organizer, she's an organizer and a judge for the first robotics competitions. One of her recent projects with students includes using mobile robot platforms to remotely command robots to perform tasks. Also, if you have not seen her on Twitter, she puts up these electrical engineering, these fun um, questions that you can just stay sharp with your skills on. I'm always doing them, but I'm like, I love the computer engineering part that was kind of electrical, but I'm like, I don't want to put my answer up and be wrong, but I think this is it. <laughs> but <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Dr. Berry. <laughs> Thank you so much oh for having goodness. me. I am fangirling right now. I can't believe y'all have me on. I made it, mama. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> you know you are on everybody else's podcast, so. Right. I think we're the ones who have the privilege of having you with us today. Yes, we are fangirling for you. Mm -hmm. I get so tired when I hear people read my bio because it either makes me feel old or it makes me feel like, did I really do all of that? Good Lord. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is like the stuff you're actually like actively doing the last Mm -hmm. little blob. Yeah. That's a lot. 
And actually the things probably I'm most proud of right now, which you didn't mention, but have happened during the pandemic, really are black in engineering and black in robotics, you know, because those are the things mm. that were unexpected, un unplanned, unorganic, you know, kind of just like the social justice movement required it. And it's just like moving when you know you need to move. Um, yeah, no, I think, you know, that's definitely something we have to talk about. And I know, like, for us, we didn't just one day wake up and decide we're going to be engineers. <laughs> and no. I'm sure that you didn't one day think, wake up and think, you know what, I'm going to turn into a social media activist Engineer. and real life activist, Feminist. right? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> but we, we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into that. Yeah. So what made you decide to pursue robotics? Like, what did, where did, where did this all start for you? Right. So I think for me, it was kind of a non-traditional thing. Like most black women or black people in STEM, we don't have a, a long line of parents, aunts, uncles, role models who were in STEM or in engineering. And that's true for me. Like, it's so weird when I talk to some of my colleagues and they talk about, oh yeah, my dad was an engineer. My uncle was an engineer. We used to put TVs together and you know work on the car on the weekend. I'm like, oh, that's just so weird to me. So my mom was a school teacher. Right, y'all had TVs to waste. Y'all had right, cars you know to waste. Parent of stuff in the garage. I can't even relate, okay? But so my mom was a, a, a school teacher. She was a kindergarten teacher and my grandmother was a piano teacher. Aww. And I actually love teaching. I, I think teaching is actually my first love. And when I was little, I just decided I will also be a teacher. So I had my dollies. I gave my dollies homework. I graded their homework. <laughs> some passed. And teaching was just always my thing. And then maybe sometime around middle school, I love math and science. So naturally I'm going to be a math or science teacher, but it was teacher, teacher, teacher. Even when I got to like sixth grade and, you know, you had to do like science fair projects and stuff like that. I was kind of like, I don't know what to do. And I remember my mom calling my, um, her friend who had a son my age and me going over there and him, you know, helping me with the science fair project. Cause I was still like, nobody in my family knows how to do this STEM stuff. So he's over there helping me make like the, the battery and the light bulb circuit for a science fair. Maybe one year he helped me make a human brain, but that still just wasn't my wow. thing, you know? So, um, mm -hmm. I, I very rarely had black teachers and I, I know you had mentioned this earlier and I remember one was in the fifth grade and she was, a Miss Davis. And the only thing I really remember about her is she walked around with a baseball bat and was like, if y'all don't sit down and act like you got some sense, I'll get my bat out. She never hit anybody with the bat, but first black teacher uh, and had a bat. Oh, oh, she stuck out of my mind. Um, and you know, couldn't get away with that. She'd be under the jail. But then after my, <laughs> my sixth grade year, I had a black principal, a female black female principal. And she told my mom, I feel like she is wasting her potential here. You need to get her in a magnet wow. school. And I was like, I think I'm fine, but okay, if you say so. So after <laughs> my seventh grade year, I went to a magnet school. And I think that that's kind of what made a difference because you don't know this growing up in mm. quote unquote poverty with under-resourced schools, but there are things that people do with you at a resource school that are just natural, you know? So naturally mm -hmm. giving me challenging assignments, naturally giving me homework, naturally talking to me about 
careers and have you considered this? So then when I went to high school, I was in a program called En-ROADS. And En-ROADS is like an internship program where they get you ready for these internships and they have someone come in. And they're like, you're so good at math and science. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a high school calc teacher. And they're like, you should consider engineering. Well, what's an engineer? Nobody talked to me about stuff like that. The train conductor, I ain't driving no train. Right? Right. So, <laughs> and that hat is ugly. Right. No, there were no cell phones, no internet. I'm older than y'all. Stop playing me. Um, I had to. No. <laughs> there was a time in life I did not have a cell phone. Yeah. Because they three. did not exist for public consumption. <laughs> so I walked to the library. Nice yep. I walked to the library <laughs> after school and I looked up engineer and I was like, eh, yeah, it looks all right. But I was still concerned that I wouldn't like it. And I did do a couple of internships mm. at Ford Motor Company working with engineers when I was in high school, but I just was not sure. So that's actually why I knew I was always going to Spelman. I was going to get an education degree and be a math teacher. So when I found out I could do a Spelman Georgia Tech thing, it worked because I was like, I can do the engineering, but I'll still have my math degree because if this stuff is some foolishness, I can still do my teaching. I did get into Georgia yeah. Tech from high school and I went and mm. did like a um, early career at both, you know, spellbound was, you know, they talked to me about the dorm life, about the class, you know, it was, it was a picture of my entire existence at Spelman at Georgia Tech. We went to a mm -hmm. banquet where some PhD did a technical talk. Lord. I was like, and that's how you attract high school. I don't even know what this man is talking about. So that's how I kind of ended up Spelman <laughs> first because I was like, oh, anyway. I tell people all the time, if there had been no Spelman, I would have never graduated from Georgia Tech. So I had to do it that mm, way. Yeah. Because what I experienced at Georgia Tech um, probably would have broke me if I hadn't had three years of Spelman that built me up, right? Um, because walking mm -hmm. in a classroom... Uh, lecture hall, 200 people, not too many women, not too many black people, professor don't know your name, TAs do the, all of the tutoring, office hours in the labs. I was lost. I was completely lost. And I think yeah. if I had not seen a different model for education at Spelman and a different way to be supported and get resources, I wouldn't have known what to do as an 18-year-old shy girl coming out of high school, going to Atlanta, going to Georgia Tech. So even though it was an extra year of my life to get two bachelor's degrees in five years, I wouldn't have gotten two at all if I hadn't did it that way. Wow. I mean, that's always the story that I hear from, you know, they have the three, two program and like, you know, Michigan was also one of the schools and the folks yeah. that I, you know, met that went through the program, they had such a confidence about their skills and abilities. And I'm like, you know what? Um, and I had, you know, a similar experience at a PWI where, you know, you have this time that really gets you like confident about yourself and your work. So you can go out into the world and face yeah. all of the foolishness somewhere Absolutely. else. So it's unfortunate, but I'm so glad that, you know, that that experience even yeah. exists. I want to circle back real quick. You said that you knew you were going to Spelman. Who like, was there somebody in your life who like, how did you know about Spelman? So, so that's another crazy one. Like I said, my mom went to Tennessee State. Um, <laughs> I'm from Nashville. My mom went to Tennessee State. My mom is a Tennessee State golden girl. Um, she still does stuff in oh, Tennessee cool. State and she's 82 now. Um, when I was little, it was TSU homecoming. You know, you went to the parade on Saturday. So it was TSU, TSU, TSU. So I knew one place I wasn't going to Tennessee <laughs> State. Um, 
but um, <laughs> but I you know I was I had grew up in an HBCU house household so I had been considering Howard and um there was a young mm-hmm. lady a year ahead of me who went to Spelman and she came back and they called all the black um girls into the auditorium and she did a talk on her school just to you know a college talk just to get us about and I remember looking at her going she is so classy she is so poised. Mm-hmm. She is so refined. She got mm-hmm. her stuff together. Wherever she goes to school, that's where I want to go. And I found out she went to Spelman and that clinched it for me. And the weird thing about it is at that point, I still went ahead and applied to Georgia Tech, to Howard, to Vanderbilt and a couple other places. And I got in them and my guidance counselor, a white woman, um, because I worked in the guidance office, she she would say to me almost every day, I really think you should go to Vanderbilt. I really think you should go to Vanderbilt. I was like, no, I'm going to Spelman. Once I got to Spelman, it was it. That was it. I don't care where else I get in. <laughs> she was so frustrated with me not agreeing to go to Vanderbilt. She actually had me come, when I came to work one day, she had the Vanderbilt recruiter sitting there to talk to me. And I could wow. not completely articulate how annoyed I was. Because at 18, you don't have those words. And now I do. Mm-hmm. And now the high school that I went to is actually one of the number one high schools in the country. I took a magnet school. Um, there's a subgroup of us who went to HBCUs who are alumni of that high school. And most of us went to uh, Spelman and Morehouse. There are some A&T and Hampton and all of that. But it turns out that that was just a thing. They felt like this college prep, intense school, we're giving you guys all of this. And they felt like you're kind of, giving it away by going to an HBCU. Wasting it. Right? But I didn't know that wow. at the time. All mm. I knew was like, why is she on me? I know why, I'm, why is she on me? But we know yeah. what it was. They've never seen HBCUs as yeah. equivalent, as as enough, if that makes sense. I've done, I did a podcast one time in mm-hmm. Georgia um, where it was a family and the dad had gone to an HBCU. And my husband actually feels this way as well. So it's not like that's rare. And he did not want his daughter to go to one. We have a couple of students at my school now whose dads or parents went to HBCUs who wanted them particularly at my school. So even people who've gone to HBCUs do not want their children to go because of either a negative experience they had there or they weren't able to get the career tracks that they, that they, that they chose. So I've done podcasts about teaching and going to both PWIs and HBCUs and the pros and cons of each. And I say all things being equal or unequal, I still want my child to go to an HBCU. Um, and I just think there is yeah. something you get there that a black or brown student, especially in STEM, may not get at a PWI. And I've mentored plenty of them and, and I've seen it. And, you know, when everything's going great, you're fine. PWI doesn't matter. But when you start mm-hmm. running into roadblocks and looking around for somebody in that support, that's where you have problems. Um, I even 100%. I think I heard you mention Michigan. <laughs> I even had when I was in uh, I used mm-hmm. to work at Ford in Michigan and I had I used to do um talks for mm-hmm. inroads and DAPSEP. And there was a young lady, oh wow, yes, DAPSEP, Jason Lee. Yep, <laughs> I used to do talks for DAPSEP, and there was a young lady from Michigan, and I'll never forget. She was like a freshman and she was just like she's an engineering student, and she's just like. I just need some advice from you about how to survive. And she just looked so down. And I was like, I, I guess I didn't even understand. I'm like, Aww. talk to me and tell me what's going on. She was just like, it's just so competitive. She's like, I can't even get sick. And I was like, I don't understand. What do you mean you can't get sick? Yeah. She was like, nobody will give you their notes because they don't want you to blow the mm-hmm. curve. 
Um, if you miss class, they won't tell you what happened. And she's just like, it's so competitive that it just kills me. And I could not even relate because even at Georgia Tech, as rough as it was, I guess because I figured out how to work the system before it got real bad. I didn't know it was like that. Mm-hmm. You know, because HBCU, mm-hmm. it may be cliche, but it's a family. You know, you yeah. go to class and they know that Marissa is my roommate. They'd be like, where Marissa at? I'm like, oh, she overslept. Your professor be like, mm-hmm. go pick her up and bring her butt to class. <laughs> go wake her up and come back. <laughs> you know, that's where right. I went to school. Go get her. Right. So I can't even relate to yeah. that. You know, and that's why yeah. no matter. I think so. Like, go ahead, Jeremy. I was going to say our experiences, you know, we both went to PWIs, but we both were in bridge programs that mm-hmm. were designed for underrepresented students. So like we had that community in those classes. Correct. So, yeah. Correct. you know, if we weren't there, they knew we weren't there. They yeah. made sure to yeah. get the note for yeah. us. Yeah. And it's just now yeah. dawning on me that the people who created the program were all from HBCUs and mm-hmm. the way you're like, oh yeah, if this person's not here, here are the notes. That is your mm-hmm. roommate. What are you doing? Like you are them. your brother's keeper. And see, like, that's that was what I tell my students. So my school, I'm the NSBE advisor. They, there's not a lot of them, you know, our school. Me too. Uh, are you really? Well, they started asking me to be the NSBE mm-hmm. advisor. The minute I walked on campus as the only black woman engineering <laughs> professor, there, there are four or five men. Most of them are African. A couple of them are American, but I told them until I get tenure, I will not be the NSBE advisor because I just cannot have y'all stereotyping me up in here like this with all this service. I got yeah. to get mine first because I mean, I did mm-hmm. that at the state. And that was one of the things that did burn me out is I was so busy pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring into the students that I had some health issues and I emptied myself out. And I now know that, you know, like they say on the plane, I had Mm -hmm. to put my mask on first and make sure I could breathe before I can breathe for you. So now that I have tenure and I have full, I'll be the Nesby advisor till I retire. It doesn't matter. But one of the things I tell them is, I know you guys didn't go to an HBCU but you have got to learn how to make that HBCU experience amongst you se- yourselves. Like sometimes it's a little bit too much backbiting, yeah. a little bit too much gossiping, a little bit too much of who doing what to who and not enough of academic excellence and tutoring and like that. I understand you may be one of only two in class. Yeah. You two need to be studying together and you two need to have each other's phone numbers. So you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm giving to my students. And then we have a whole nother community of black students at least at my school, who don't want anything to do with NASB. They don't want to be affiliated with anything black. They don't even want yep. to identify them as yeah, black. Real. And I tell them, I don't care. I'm here for all of you, right? I'm rooting for all of you. <laughs> but don't come here for these black resources, though. Right. Stay well, that, not black when you get in trouble. Stay not black when something ain't working. <laughs> so one of my favorite stories about that was there was a young lady, um, and she was half black. Her mom was black. Her dad was white very quiet, didn't really affiliate too much with the black students, the Nesby, whatever. And then for some reason, her senior year, she decided she wanted to go to convention. So she started kind of hanging with the Nesby students because she wanted to go to convention. And when she got back, she said to me, we went to Anaheim that year, I think. So this is like five or six years ago. And she said, mm-hmm. I wish I had been with Nesby from the very beginning. This experience, my senior year has changed my life. And I think what it is, is they're just so used to being pointed out and targeted in the class. Like the professor always going to know your name. You're one of the only two little dots in here that some students don't want to affiliate with anything black. So like we already are targeted and highlighted, you know, hyper visible 
already. So I would prefer to just mm-hmm. distance myself from y'all. But then, like Kyla said, let some stuff go down. They in my office. What's I? What's it gonna do? <laughs> what's it gonna do? Well, welcome. Mm-hmm. Glad you're here. <laughs> right. Right. I'm glad you're black today. Yeah. Not yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I got ne- one more story. Oh I'm gonna let y'all ask y'all questions. I had I had a friend in high school, <laughs> guy in high school, same thing, biracial, did not talk to the black students, did not affiliate with us, did not you know cafeteria, didn't eat with us, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then when it was time to graduate, he won like I want to say all of the diversity awards. <laughs> you know, wow. we're like, we're like you wow, applications for this stuff. He did. He wanted to be black. Right. Today. Black and convenient. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's okay. We still accept them on them flaws and all. We do. We you do. Because um, no, no, we do. We do. We, we do, do. I guess we do because, because, <laughs> because they come full I mean, circle. Like they we don't know each other's struggles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah. I think it's gonna be my daughter. Um, I'm gonna be honest. Be black yeah. in the beginning. My daughter. My daughter doesn't you go never, to school. You just yeah. don't know. Yeah. My daughter doesn't go to school with a lot of black and brown people either. So I could see her oh. when she goes. Oh, the just she'll go to school. I was like, what? Yeah. No, well, no, you know, she's 14. But, but because of where we live in Indiana, mm-hmm. she does not have yeah. any black friends at all. And she may have a few biracial ones, but normally that's not even black and something. That might be Hispanic and white or, or something else. So I could see her going to college and not being all that comfortable or familiar with black people. And so it might take her a minute. I could say that. And so, you know, we go work mm-hmm. her in though, because she got to know where her community is and where her resources are. But I could see her being like That's what my parents did for me. Right. They took me across town to the black community and they were like, You gonna go to this black YMCA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're gonna get your full culture. Because right. otherwise I would never see us. Yeah, so well, we I did, totally we understand did mocha that. moms. Um, when we when she was little, just because I wanted her to see some black people, so we did mocha moms, and then we I did something similar like to your parents. I put her in some girls ink programs. Girls ink was in the city in Indianapolis, mm. black and brown kids. But the main thing people kept telling me to do, and I don't know who listens to this podcast, but they weren't showing me no love. Is people were like y'all need you need to put her in Jack and Jill. I didn't realize that there was a secret oh, yeah. code to get in Jack and Jill because I couldn't get a phone call from them, so I gave up on the Jack and Jill. Mm. So. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't have the secret sauce. I'm not one. <laughs> so you could have been one, Jeremy. I could have been one. My mom is very frugal, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> See, I didn't, even I didn't know, know Jack and Jill was till I, I got. I didn't even school. know you had to pay for it. I thought it was just like a, a community building, black kids hanging out kind of thing. I, I didn't know, but I, you know, like I said, I couldn't even get a phone call back. So obviously, I didn't meet the standard either. <laughs> Now, I was just thinking about, um, you know, you mentioned your daughter and, you know, school and how she's navigating that. And I was wondering if you had any people who were really influential when you were younger that helped you get, you know, into college or even while you were in college helped you kind of navigate getting into grad school. Because, like, how did you get into grad school? Yeah, it it was weird. It was very weird. Um, So... Starting with high school, other than inroads, which I would say was the mentoring program, I didn't have a lot. Like I said, my mom, mm-hmm. this was all uncharted territory mm-hmm. for my mom. My mom grew up in Nashville. My mom went to Tennessee State. 
at the time when she was growing up, you know, they still had Jim Crow. So that's what all the black kids in Tennessee did or Nashville did. Mm-hmm. Is Tennessee State or Fisk. So uncharted territory, me going to Spelman, me leaving um, Nashville, my brother being a graphic artist and going to school in um, Columbus, Ohio. All of this was new to, to my mom. So no, high school was kind of like the blind leading the blind. I actually wrote a, a, a blog on this mm. is that you can be what you cannot see, but it's more difficult, but it's not impossible. And it does not mean that you shouldn't try, mm-hmm. but that's also why we need to work hard to become those mentors and role models. So those behind us can be what they can see and we can make them aware of those obstacles that their journey was a little bit easier than ours. So same thing, Spelman, um, there was a wise program, women in science and engineering, NASA scholars. I didn't know about any of these programs at Spelman, even though I was going to had every intention of being an engineer from the day I walked in the door. So what did that mean? That meant my journey was a lot harder than a lot of my classmates. I graduated with major debt. They did not because they were in wise programs and the NASA Mm. scholars and they, they worked as an intern at NASA. I mean, I had internships at En-ROADS in the summer, but that literally was just enough to to pay for my books. So the whole time I was at Spelman and at Georgia Tech, I sometimes worked two and three jobs. So I'm working fast food. I'm working at Mrs. Fields. I'm tutoring people in the math lab. And so I would tell people my grades were not a reflection of my ability, but a reflection of the fact that I was poor and that I was broke and that I was dividing time, you know, working at a video store, um, working in the dining hall at Georgia Tech, doing things just so I could eat. You know, when I finally moved off campus at Spelman, it wasn't because I wanted to live off campus. It's because I couldn't afford to pay the housing anymore. So all of those things um, happened because I did not have a mentor. And I don't think my first real mentor showed up until I was at at Ford. Um, I hated my job at Ford, but I had a colleague who had a PhD in engineering, black guy. He was African. Mm-hmm. I had never met a black person with a PhD in engineering because although Gary May was mm. at Georgia Tech when I was a student, I, I never met Gary May. I didn't know he was there. And there was one other black guy who wow. was there mm-hmm. when I was at Georgia Tech, but he left within a year. So I didn't know any black engineering PhDs. And so when I found out I could get um, a fellowship to go to Wayne State to get my master's degree, and they were like, you have to have a recommendation letter. I didn't have anybody to get it from. My grades coming out of Georgia Tech were a 2-5. And I didn't have any relationship with any of the professors because mm. I had been miserable while I was there. So my colleague at work with the PhD wrote my recommendation letter. And then the other Aww. one. That's awesome. Right. And then I got the other one, I think, from a girlfriend who was an engineer at GM. And luckily, Wayne State wasn't paying that much attention. Mm. And they let me in. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the good thing about that is I now had money and resources so I could go to school without dividing my time. So I had a 4.0 at Wayne State. And I mm-hmm. think if not for that, I wouldn't have gotten into Vanderbilt because if they went back and looked at my mm-hmm. undergrad grades, it was going to be like, uh, I don't think so. So my first mentor <laughs> wow. was my coworker only because my coworker wow. looked like somewhere that I wanted to be. Um, now, all these years later, my first um, career mentor is Stephanie Adams. I was tweeting about her yesterday because she did a presentation at <laughs> University of Florida. And 
Yeah, we were there. You was with us. <laughs> oh, yes. really? Oh, very cool. Yeah, I was tweeting about that. Because <laughs> yes. I was at Tennessee. I started at Tennessee State in 2003. And I had gone to a QEM, uh, something for minorities. I don't even remember what it stands for anymore. Mm-hmm. But she was the keynote speaker mm-hmm. there. And I was like, oh, my God, black woman, PhD in engineering. Still didn't know any, right? And so I walked up and started talking to her. And I was right. like, will you be my mentor? Didn't even know what that meant. And all that all <laughs> did for me the first couple of years was listen to me vetch and moan about how miserable I was at my job. And then eventually she was just like, you're going to let that job kill you. And when you die, mm. they are going to basically come to your funeral and then post your job the next day. And she said mm-hmm. to me, you are, <laughs> if they wait that long, they, wait they ain't waiting that long. She's like, you know, you're killing yourself for these students, but there's some things going on in your career that are just not going to work. And I just like, mm-hmm. um, I will share with you. I'm not about to cry by the way, but what finally was the decision point <laughs> was I had a miscarriage and, um, it was stress. You know, I, had, I made it out of the first trimester. And so they were just kind of like, we're not really sure. Wow. What happened. And I was like, stress, mm. a lot of stress. And so that's what mm. finally did it for me where I said, I want to be here for my people. I got my PhD for my people, but I can't be here for my people like this. And there will be black and brown students mm. at my school. That's a PWI that I can help just as well. But if me being here is affecting mm-hmm. my, my health, my marriage, my mental stability, it's time for me to go. And it was Stephanie's advice that finally yep, got me to yeah. leave. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Adams. Dr. Mm-hmm. Adams. Yeah. We I were just hanging out with her yesterday. She's such a wealth of advice. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> oh, I, she busy. I try to be oh, yeah, the type of mentor too. that she is. So like I've, I've mentored undergrads, grad students, PhD students, um, new professors, colleagues at my school and at other places. And I try to be the mentor to people that she is to me. I don't call as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because my career is kind of now where it is. But when I call, she always answers. And she always is straight, no chaser. And that's what I like. And that's what I want to be mm-hmm. to other people. Because it is not helpful for you, for me to, you know, kind of mumble through and be like, girl, I don't think that's a good idea. But I will tell you this. I am an advisor. I'm not a teller. So no matter what, what you decide to mm-hmm. do, I will respect that. But this is how I feel about it. I do the same for my students. I've had some students yeah. come to me, ask for some advice. And I go, I don't think that's a good idea. One, one black young man, I'll never forget. He said, I want to graduate on time, but I've, I failed a couple of classes. So I'm taking 20 hours every quarter all the way out. And I was like, in engineering, that's not a good idea. He's like, no, I want, to <laughs> no. I want to graduate with my class and I want to graduate in four years. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea, but you're grown. You do what you want. He did it. He passed. <laughs> he graduated on time. And he came back to me and said, you told me not to do it. And I said, I sure. And he was also on the basketball Ooh. team. He was on the basketball team. I said, I sure did. Wow. You proved me wrong and I give you much respect. So, but I'm going to always. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I, I didn't think it was a good idea. I, and I still don't, but he did it. Right. He didn't sleep. <laughs> but he did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And right. At what cost to his right. body? <laughs> Wow. 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 So yeah. we talked about, um, about you going into grad school until you get in, um, a PhD, but what, 
well, no, let's back up to Wayne State. What is a master's of controls? So it's actually electrical engineering. So when I worked at Ford, I was a controls, an automation okay. and controls engineer. So controls is basically when you design a system to act the way that you want it to act. So you don't have to do robotics, but robotics is kind mm -hmm. of my area. But for example, your washing machine, mm -hmm. right? You know, if you turn it on dry or spin or, or rinse or whatever, it has to do certain things. So that's a control system. A control system is I input something and I expect it to do what I want. The example I use with my students when I teach controls is driving, right? When you get in your mm -hmm. car, you as a human being are the input to the system, but there's also some electronics in your car that have to happen, such as when you push the accelerator, you expect certain things to happen. If you push a brake, you expect certain things to happen. Or if you put it on cruise control, you expect it to stay at a certain speed. But then I talk to them about open loop and closed loop control is when you start texting or you turn your head to look at the baby in the back seat, that's that's um, open loop control because you don't have your eyes on the road anymore. And so the car starts drifting into the middle lane or goes over into the shoulder and things like that. So that's basically what a controls engineer is. So for my master's, I took a control system that was in the um, plant where I worked. It was a windshield plant for cars. And I designed a controller for it. So that's why it's an electrical engineering master's, but the focus was on control. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is uh, pretty cool. Uh -uh. That's not my ministry, but I love that. <laughs> I, love I love that we have Carlotta in the world. Yeah. I stole that one, Jeremy. I be using it now too. I stole that from you. Oh, honey, that's not my ministry. <laughs> it's not. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Well, yeah, everybody gets it when you say it. How many are you? So I am a computer scientist slash my master, I mean, my PhD is in computer science and engineering. Okay. Not sure what that means, but, <laughs> so you're more but computer classically trained computer scientist. Okay. I'm more computer science, but my first PhD student was electrical engineering. I do have um, joint faculty status there because my research is like a bridge between, it's a lot of signal processing. Okay. So okay. it's like that area of electrical. So um, his dissertation was largely signal processing and, um, um, a little bit of, um, uh, I would say a good amount of um, automation, but okay. mostly signal processing and some simulation too, a lot of MATLAB, but yeah. then it's also computer that was science. What my master's was. And then it's also yeah. conceptual science. Yeah, I, I oh. simulated my master's thesis in MATLAB. I took the, the stuff from the actual mm -hmm. system and put it in MATLAB, simulated it, and then made a controller mm. to see how it changed. Because, you know, they weren't going to let me do nothing on the real plant floor because the plant floor don't go down. You on the actual, the, right. Correct. They can't take the plant down. So that's what I did. I took some data from the plant, right. put it in MATLAB, <laughs> and then simulated if I did it on the controller, mm -hmm. what would happen. And then, Jeremy, you're a chemical engineer, right? Is it chemical? I'm a civil engineer. Civil engineer. So civil engineer. I... Okay. Because mm -hmm. I'm trying to give you an example and of within civil engineering. engineering. Yeah. Oh, I, I fully understand. Uh, it's just, it's just so I <laughs> actually, my research is more, well, I'm more of like a material scientist okay. embedded in civil engineering. Okay. So I did like materials research in civil engineering. Yeah. Um, so looking at asphalt was okay. my PhD, but I did like my master's focused on uh, research that was in concrete so portland cement concrete two very different materials in terms of their behaviors but you know yeah, i don't know I'm the difference between strange, asphalt and concrete right 
Is that normal? Is that a lot of people? It is very normal. Most people think that they're the same. I don't know the difference. Because when you said no, that was an asphalt and concrete. And I was like, I thought that was the same thing. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. What are black? Asphalt is a viscoelastic material. Yes. Yeah, asphalt. Asphalt So it's never fully solid or never quite all the way liquid. It exists somewhere in between. That's interesting. Which is very interesting. Like, that's why on a hot day, yeah. you can like see um, that like the little liquefied looking spot mm-hmm. when you're driving. Look at you teaching mm-hmm. me some stuff up in mm-hmm. here. <laughs> All about STEM is everywhere. Yeah, that it is. is. Cool. So, yeah. And then if you, if you ride in a concrete road, typically you, most bridges are, have concrete decks. But there are a lot of concrete roads too. So those are the roads that you go over where you hear the bumps, you go boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, yeah. boom, boom, because those roads have expansion cracks in them mm-hmm. that allow the concrete to expand and contract in the in the winter with the cooling air temperatures. So um, to mitigate cracking, that's why you have those expansion cracks. So usually a flexible pavement and asphalt pavement, mm-hmm. you don't ever have those. I love it. I unless love there's it. an issue. So Very cool. Yep, I'm a nerd in that space. <laughs> Are we all? Um, I love But it. yeah, I teach a class that's like intro to design and we do Arduino Uno mm-hmm. uh, microcontrollers and they mm-hmm. learn how to code in an online platform. So they do block coding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tinkercad. So they get kind of exposure to ev- a little bit of everything. Yep, Tinkercad circuits. Mm-hmm. Um, they do solid modeling. It's a lot of fun what kind of to have a class where it's like multidisciplinary. Do you somehow tie the Arduino project? They're doing all sorts of things. Yeah, so they are given design prompts if they do like a final design project. And uh, so like the half of the course is them learning the concepts and then the mm-hmm. other half of them is applying it to real world scenarios. So we give them different prompts that they can choose from. One being like you're designing a toy for a child that has a physical disability mm-hmm. and they have to define the disability and um we usually say gross or, or fine motor skill development mm-hmm. and they have to design something out using their arduino that has at least one input and two outputs um for them to use to develop the skill that they need um another is for like assisted living for elderly populations Mm -hmm. and how do you design something that supports them living independently and yeah so we have prompts like that and they get to create different 3d printed parts to use for that so that's where the solid modeling comes in so it's a it's an interesting and i want to take the class i the classroom is beautiful yeah one of the few things i still don't know how to do and it's on my summer list but it may not happen is learning how to do 3d prints i think i'm gonna have to buy me a 3d printer for my birthday present that's so nerdy but you should ventilation i want a 3d printer for my birthday (laughs) the fumes will knock you out (laughs) the fumes may not knock you you just need a ring i just know we got in trouble for having a 3d printer inside at clemson because you're supposed to have a specific kind of like exhaust air exchange exchange. oh well this was gonna be my house so i better work on that yeah i was gonna put it in you yeah you could put it in the garage or something yeah, I might need to do that. No, they have they okay, depending on the type of model you yeah, use. Yeah, I'm just saying, just need. double check the ventilation stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, just mm-hmm. to make sure. Yeah, because that's gonna be in my house. That's not even Get a campus. That's that's my home um, birthday present. <laughs> I want one too, but 
anyways but like speaking of stuff that like inspires us and learning so you're at wayne state and then all of a sudden you said vanderbilt it's on my radar like how where did that transition come from because I, it was that guidance counselor yeah honestly <laughs> it was not and it is so crazy and it's so full circle that i didn't even realize until i was at vanderbilt like oh my god i ended up where that chick wanted me to go anyway had totally forgot about her all those years later <laughs> But this just shows <laughs> how much a lot of my life is just kind of organic. Me ending up in Michigan was organic because I did not mm. want to move to Michigan. I'm from Nashville and there was a Ford motor plant in Nashville and they would not hire me to go mm. back to the Nashville location because they said they had a hard time promoting engineers because they did not want to leave Nashville and move to Michigan, which is where the majority of Ford headquarters and plants uh. were. So I ended up in Michigan and one of my really good friends ended up in Nashville. She was from Michigan and they made a swap basically because they wanted us to get used to moving. So that's how I ended up in Michigan. And so I hate, I hated it. It was so cold. Some of my best friends I met in Michigan, loved them to this day. They were the bridesmaids in my wedding, but it was just so freaking cold. So my main thing when I wanted to get my PhD was I was going back to warm weather and it just so happened to be, I got into the robotics lab at Vanderbilt, but I would have gone back to Atlanta, Florida, anywhere. I just cannot stand the cold. I'm a summer baby. And I just cannot mm-hmm. take how cold it was in Michigan. I hated it. And also I needed to be back. <laughs> Are you a Gemini? A little bit. Who I'm a cancer, but I had to be back with people who were a little bit warmer. Mm. Yeah. I'm a 4th of July baby. Mm. And um, I had to just connect. Oh, oh that's cool. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now I was in DC. So like, I didn't mind the Michigan cold, but like the cold that we had for a week in DC was like two months in Michigan. So I'm from Florida. I've stayed here. I ain't leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's gonna have to pay me real money to move. Yeah, absolutely. Hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Okay. Okay. So I just want to clarify something before we get, get into some more of this conversation. You were a full-time engineer while you were getting your master's degree at Wayne State. I was. So, right. right. So interestingly enough, I worked as a controls engineer. I worked nights because I tell my students, there is no silo of disciplines anymore. Like, so as soon as I got there, they were like, you're an electrical engineer, but you don't know enough about mechanical. You don't know enough about maintenance. You don't know enough about plant engineering. So the way I had to learn that is mm-hmm. I had to go on midnight because that's when they did all the maintenance because the line can't go down during the day. So I would go to work about mm-hmm. 11 o'clock at night and get off about seven o'clock in the morning. I had decided when I was a student at Georgia Tech that I was going <laughs> to get my PhD and teach engineering because I didn't like the way I was taught engineering. I didn't like my lack of role models. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the way that rope the engineering was not being taught in a, in an approachable way. And I had even taken a robotics class while I was at Georgia Tech but only the grad students touch the robot. We learned the theory. We could write the code, but we couldn't get any hands-on experience. So I knew there was a better way to teach. Hmm. So while I was at um, my job, I was just like, I don't like this working in the middle of the night because some of my other friends who were engineers at Ford, they worked in the design lab, designing the cars. They worked in a cubicle. I didn't mind working in a plant, but why I got to be here in the middle of the night? And then also when you do manufacturing, <laughs> lines can't ever go down. And what that means is that it could be 
3.30 on Friday and I just got off work that morning, I got to go back in if the robot goes down or if the line goes down. So so mm-hmm. even though I was making a whole mm-hmm. lot of money, I was a slave to the job, right? So I tell students all the time, mm-hmm. pick a career you love. Don't pick a career by money because I was making money hand over fist, but I couldn't spend any of it because I was up in work all the time. So, you know, I had relatives, (laughs) including my mother, who were like, I can't believe you're considering going back to school. Haven't you had enough of school yet? No, because I want my PhD. And two, because I'm not going to be doing this the rest of my life. So when I first started Mm -hmm. at Wednesday, I was going to class. Can I I interject for a minute? Like, I just want to say, you had some real cute pictures, though. Like, Mm -hmm. the hard hat photos of you. You were like into magazines. I saw it. I yes. sent it. I know we're gonna real. put it Aww. if you're listening, we're gonna put this on the, the episode Aww. uh webpage. Thank you. They were inspiring. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also had some um some misogynoir issues while I was at Ford as well. And one of the main ones I had mm. was from a black woman. And that that devastated me because we talked about mentors and role models before. She was a yeah. black she was she was a black woman a black woman engineering manager and she worked in the corporate office. So because I worked in the plant and I could be crawling under equipment, I could be putting a robot together. I could be trying to get a line running. I kept my hair braided and I wore jeans and t-shirts to work. I dressed exactly like all of the white male engineers I worked with. There was only other one black engineer and it was Mm -hmm. a woman. And she came up there, respectability politicking me and said, if you ever want to get anywhere in this company, you need to dress like you want to go. You need to take those braids out of your hair and you need to dress a little bit nicer. Uh -uh. And in my mind, I'm going, boo, I go home with oil on my shirt. I go home with dirty (laughs) hair laying up under a conveyor belt. Are you crazy? And once again, being young, I really looked up to her and I was devastated completely devastated that she not Mm. only criticized my hair, but my dress when I'm dressing like all the white men. So that was one thing negative that happened from a black person and Mm. that I didn't expect the stuff happening with the white people. I kind of got used to it. Um, When I mentioned to one of them that I really wanted to someday get my PhD and teach engineering, they went back and told my boss, she doesn't really want to be here. She's not serious about staying. She wants to be a school teacher. So they kind of took my words out of context. Are you serious? But it was the black woman and the hair that hurt me worse than anything else. So yeah, it was a full circuit circle moment. Be your own people sometimes. Be your own people. So about a year after um, being at, at Wayne State, I was falling asleep in class because I would go to class from like six to, to ten. Then I would go immediately to work, work from eleven to seven, sleep for a little while, and then get up and do my homework. And it was just not sustainable. So after about a year, um, there was a professor there who advertised with the Nesby Detroit Alumni Extension that he had received a fellowship for a grad student, but it could only go to a black person. So I took a leave from my job at Ford and um, I finished my last year without working with zero intention of returning to Ford. But because my mama says you never quit a job without having a job, (laughs) I took a leave knowing I wasn't going back. And so... One thing, that I, I, one thing that I preach to my Nesby students as well is because our school has uh, recruiters who will put out little placards that says only 3.0 and higher apply for internships and jobs. 
I tell them, go to the Nesby convention if you want a job. Because if you go to the Nesby convention, they just want black and brown students. And they are not so legalistic about GPAs. Because I know for a fact, I didn't have that GPA and I knew my stuff. Because your GPA, once again, is not a reflection of your ability to do or your intelligence or your success. So I'm now finishing grad school. And I'm, I'm, going to, I'm getting my PhD. So I'm still just kind of chilling. I got money to live until I get in grad school. I went to the Nesby convention in Kansas City because I wanted to go and see the Negro Baseball League, right? And I'm walking <laughs> around the Nesby Convention Center. You know, I went with the Wayne State Nesby chapter. And um, this guy had something on the table. And I don't know what it was. It was something like a squeeze ball or something. I was like, I want one of those. He's like, give me a resume. I was like, I ain't got no resume. I don't even need a job, to be honest. I just, I want one of those. He's like, you don't give me a resume. You can't have whatever that knickknack is. I went and printed mm-hmm. out a resume just to give to him to get the thing off the table and got a job. So I, I did. <laughs> so I did a year at Detroit Edison wow. before I went to grad school at wow. Vanderbilt. Just because once they gave me the job, I was like, I guess I need to take it for a minute or something. But I knew I wasn't going to stay. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that I finished my thesis, I You like. Mm-hmm. But that's why I tell my Nasby students now, you know, like I went to the career fair and I didn't get an interview. Take your butt to the Nasby convention. You'll get something. That's what I tell them. I got a job when I wasn't even trying to get a job. Go to the Nasby convention. Right. Nasby could be a whole episode for me. It really could. Maybe like a whole series, if we're being honest. It could. Um, So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But I do want to know like what it was that drew you into research. Like we talk a lot on this podcast about people and their career trajectories and it's yours was a bit more circuitous. It didn't, yeah, it, it was. definitely wasn't a straight line, yeah. right? Like you were like working, but not working and then working again. And then not working. Like, oh, you know what? Getting jobs by accident. Yeah. My career was not because I didn't have a lot of mentors, right? I didn't meet Stephanie till later. I didn't meet Ayana Howard till later. Mm-hmm. So, cause I think Ayana, it was like my, my robotic mm-hmm. shero. I didn't meet her until later. Yeah. So I was All like, of our sheroes. Right. So I was like a bl- the blind leading the blind. So I really got to say, I, t- I tell people it was the grace of God. I think it was the grace of God that got me to my PhD. Mm. And you know, after six years, you know, it took me six years to get my PhD. And that was after having two bachelor's degrees and a master's. I was at Vanderbilt from 1997 mm. to yeah. 2003, two different topics. Added on a different advice. That's a lot of time, right? It's pretty good. And and so yeah. I tell people It took me seven. Sis, that was a lot. That was six point five. So we got the average. That was around six point five. <laughs> that last year or two, my advisor was like, We gotta get you out of here. You you who you telling? And I mean, I was at the point <laughs> <laughs> It had gotten to the point. I, one of my advisors, I was her. I was her first PhD student, and her and I were the same age. So, wow. I'm writing a book about black women. That's kind of cool. That was me and my first student. But yeah, her and I were about the he same. He was three age. days older. So, but because um, mm-hmm. I, I so I'm writing a book about black women in STEM, and this is going to end up in there somehow. But because of that, she had a lot like on me. You know, right? She didn't have tenure yet. I was her first PhD student. So she was riding me. And then of course I had another advisor. So some of the, they sometimes bumped heads over me and what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. But one thing I started telling her my last year is I said, I'm getting tired. Y'all better get me out of here. 
And she she loves to tell people this story. And she said, you said, she said, you said to me, if you don't get me out of here this next year, I'm gonna go have me some babies and get on welfare. I'm not playing with you. Get me out of here. <laughs> did you really say that? I, I did. So she she's a white woman from New York <laughs> with red hair, and she loves to tell people, I'll never forget that, that day you told me if you don't get me out of here, I'm going to get some babies and get on welfare. I'm, I was like, get me out of here. I'm tired. <laughs> And so she was like, she's like, you remember that My day you told me you're going to get a welfare and go have some babies? I said, I sure do. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, get it me worked. out of here. I'm out. <laughs> but, um. So, um, <laughs> what, what was the research that drove you almost to welfare? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, it's hot. Uh, <laughs> so I worked in a robotics lab and. I was one of those people who I put on my statement of purpose. I want to be an educator. I didn't know that engineering education was any such, there was any such thing because I probably should have gotten my PhD in engineering education. So I put on my statement of purpose. I'm getting my PhD as a means to an end. Robotics and controls is my Mm. area, but I'm doing this to be a teacher because I wanted to make it clear to them that although I'm about to be your lab rat for the next six or seven years, it's not because when I leave, I want to go to an R1, I want to go to a MIT, a Stanford, a Carnegie Mellon. I had every intention of going to an HBCU, not necessarily Tennessee State, but I interviewed at Jackson State. I interviewed at Tuskegee. I interviewed at North Carolina A&T because I knew I was getting my PhD to go and teach black and brown students how to survive STEM and become engineers. So my research is in human-robot interaction. And I think I didn't know this at the time, but it really made sense for me because it was all about the human component or aspect of STEM. How can a human being work Mm -hmm. with a robot to achieve something in the world that will hopefully be impactful or beneficial to society? And that's what my research was all about is designing, thinking about, you said computer science. Um, One of my, the redhead from New York that I told about welfare was a CS professor And my other advisor was an electrical engineering professor because my thesis was an intersection of the two, the human computer interaction, human Mm -hmm. robot interaction, how to design an interface so that a person, Mm -hmm. even a novice can use it and figure out how to control and drive a robot. And then the other intersection was how do you control the robot to do what you want it to do? So that if a person is using it, they understand where it's going. They understand what it's doing. They understand Mm -hmm. how to make it do what you need it to do. So I designed an interface. So, and then even my mom at the time came and did my user study. So that the robot is somewhere in the, yeah. If the robot was somewhere in the engineering building, can you look at the sensors and understand where you think the robot is? Are you driving it into a wall? Is it hitting anything? (laughs) Can you make it pick something up and bring it back? So, um, you know, I, I, Mm. I did, I looked at things like mental workload, situational awareness, um, I did like um, this 3D graphical type video game. Do you understand how to look at 3D objects on a 2D space and understand what you're seeing? And then I designed something called a sensory ego sphere. They actually use something similar on Robonaut at NASA, which is basically a way of representing the robot's knowledge in a graphical interface. And so that's what my research area was. Mm. Mm. But it took a while to get there. I'm nerding out. <laughs> That is so cool. I just love the fact that there's so many analogies to HCI from the HRI types of, t- of right. types of stuff. Yeah. 
robotics wasn't super super huge when i was at michigan but now like they have a oh, huge robotics huge now. Uh, so like, yeah. yeah i talked to it's chad jenkins now. at michigan yeah. um he's actually hiring right now ask if you chad. i do know chad chad yes he is Chad interviewed at Vanderbilt when I was a grad student and because they didn't have any black professors yet, they do now. Will Robinson is there. They had me and a couple of the other black grad students um, actually give Chad his tour of campus just so he could talk to a black almost oh, nice. equal. So he always remembers it. He's like, I remember when I interviewed you were a grad student and you took me around. But that was one reason why it was so long for me to get out of um, Vanderbilt is because I was older. I obviously had worked. And I knew how to engage with people. I knew how to teach. So all the lab tours with the kids, I did all that. So all the stuff I was doing, I taught my advisor's class when he went on um, trips and stuff. So it's almost like oh, being too good is, is a blessing and a curse because all that time I'm doing all the other stuff, I ain't working on no thesis, right? <laughs> to get me out of it. <laughs> yeah. It's like the reward for being good at things is more work. Mm-hmm. It's happening at my current university. But I'm I, I'm about to break that 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 um that um generational curse right now. I'm about to tell you that now. But that's another story. <laughs> Next question, please. I hear you. I started doing. I started being like whenever people ask me to do something because I'm black and because I'm a woman, I rec- I recommend a white man. And I'm just like, <laughs> why don't you ask this guy? Because you know, diversity isn't just my problem. It's yeah. everybody's issue. I say, so. I say that at oh, my school can't? all the he time. Know anything about diversity? Shouldn't he? <laughs> he should. I when I gave I gave a talk at ECDA a couple of weeks ago. That's the EC Department Heads Association, and I said that very thing. I said diversity is everyone's responsibility, and I don't want to hear anymore. But I don't know anything about it because guess what? When an Asian student comes to my office and they have a problem, I take care of it. When a white student comes to my office, mm-hmm. they have a problem, I take care of it. Don't send all the black students to me, and don't send all the female students to me. I handle whoever comes to see me, and I don't want to hear this. I don't know where to start. Well, you got to start somewhere, or you're never going to get anywhere. It's completely unacceptable. There was and there's one also black... tons of books. There's scholarships. Yeah, there was one black woman learn. in the audience at my talk, and about forty or fifty white and Asian men. And when it was over, she was like, sis, I didn't know you were going to come in here and blow it up. I'm like, well, that's what I want. They, they didn't give me a criteria. They just told me to talk. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Stop putting all of the responsibility on diversity work on the black and brown and female faculty and junior faculty in your department. I said that too. The junior faculty are not the only people who can teach freshmen. First of all, they have to get tenure. They have to get promoted. They have papers and research. And freshmen, which I call 13th graders, are the ones who are most likely yeah, to be so do I. and hanging in your <laughs> office all the time. Let let the junior faculty teach those upper level classes where the seniors don't come see you so they can mm-hmm. focus on their work. But this is what I was told when I didn't have tenure and I used to complain about it. But you're good at it and the students connect with you so well. Well, how's anybody else going to get good at it if you don't have them do it? Exactly. Mm. It's not fair for me to hog all of the good at it. Like someone else can also be good at this. I'm depriving someone of their opportunity to get good at it. (laughs) Right. And they need to know the senior faculty in the department. They are going to have them someday Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Yeah. But we can talk about that. No, I agree. No, I I was just going to say, I love this because it really speaks to like what you're passionate about beyond the robot. Yeah, right. like it's not just about mm-hmm. you know creating this innovative solution or introducing young people to robotics and the career opportunities they have there. It's yeah. also about for you, at, at least from observation from afar through social media, yeah. um, 
you're really passionate about ensuring that people understand our experiences as Black people in engineering. Making connections. The robot. I know, like after a robot is making connections. In my opinion, the robot is a is is a hook, right? Because if someone sees the robot, oh, that's Mm -hmm. cool. What does that thing do? This is what it does. But more important than that robot is you seeing a black person over here talking to you about some STEM, right? I like to say we have a marketing yes. problem and I can use that robot to help with the marketing problem. Because mm-hmm. it will captivate people's minds. They see a mm-hmm. robot. They're like, this is the future. The future is here. Hey, black yeah. person, tell me about this robot. Like it gets the message all in this one Correct. diverse, cohesive bundle. I think um, Kyla mentioned recently about how you know, you've got these opportunities for people to learn about computing from us. Like we have these interventions where it's like, hey, come all you black children and learn about right. like yeah. this cool computer science stuff. And then you have someone who's not us teaching them. Yes. The technical pieces of, of the hard. work. And it's like, it's no, hard. we we want to be those people, right? Yeah. Like we want to show them that we're not only great at like talking to the students and engaging with the students but we also have this technical knowledge that we can pass to them too let me get your opinion on something let's hear it so i do i do black and robotics workshops and you know i we try to focus on black children but you know whoever we've done them for adults we've done them for kids i've done them for hbcu students i've done it i've done them for whoever and we had someone come who said this is really good and I think part of diversifying STEM is we need to see more um, of you guys teaching white children or Asian children so that they can see black people in leadership. And I kind of balked at that. And the reason I balked at it is because I feel like that's what I do every day at work. And I feel like they have lots right. of opportunities. <laughs> I understand we want them to see black people in positions of power and role models and all that. And that's great. But that's not what I want to do with black and robotics. I want to see more black and brown children having success mm-hmm. in STEM. And if that's somebody else's diversity mission to go and do a lot of those types of workshops for white kids and Asian kids so they can see more black people in the positions of authority, then that's them. That's not where my ministry is, Jeremy. My ministry is right. <laughs> is to see more. And why do they need a proof of concept? I don't know. Why do they need us as a proof of concept? He pitched that idea because to me. I feel like too, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, no. it's, it's no. a mess. Like that, none of that makes sense because also you're not thinking about what throwing them into this lion's den means. Like being a black woman who is the fir- usually the first technical yeah. Yeah. teacher that is of color and or a woman for a bunch of white people. You know that in itself is just bad like you will have no idea how much in a classroom students within those first few weeks you not you have no idea but the listeners have no idea if they don't teach how much students try to throw things at you to see if they can catch you off guard or see if they know mm-hmm. more than you know mm-hmm. and it's tiring i'm like look little boy i have been coding since before <laughs> you were born before you were born travis uh <laughs> so anyway Ooh, name nice, we're not name checking are we that is name. That is name. But still, okay. it's one of those like you don't want to make yeah. someone an example as oh this is the first, this is the first because there's so many arrows that get just pointed yeah. at you from that moment. And like you said, that's not my ministry to be a proof of concept that I exist for someone else so that they can try to throw things at me and see if they can get me off my game. I'm about what you're saying, making sure more black and brown kids actually know this is a topic and a field. And if my time is limited. 
and my talents are these special talents that I've curated. I'm like Issa Rae said, I'm rooting for everything black and I'm giving them to black people with my time, talents and treasures. When it, those few things I do have yeah. left to give after my day at work, I want to give them to who I want to give to. I'm going to tell you guys one quick story and then I know we probably need to wrap. When I first got to Rose Holman, I had already been teaching for three years at Tennessee State and I had already been teaching for two years at um, ITT Tech and University Phoenix because I taught engineering technology while I was wrapping up my PhD. And there was a white male student. He ended up being like cum laude or like second or third when he graduated from Rose Holman. He would come to me after class every day where like a little sheet, like a post-it note where he had been scribbling notes while I would teach where he would give me pointers on how to improve my lectures. And he would do this after class every day, my first semester there, my first quarter there. And I would look at him like, oh, what you doing? He's like, well, you know, I know you're new. So I figured I'd give you some, some pointers on how to teach. And it's because mm -hmm. in their minds, we are not qualified to be where we are. So I had to start saying things like, do you think I, I just walked in here out of the park? Right. You know, do they hire me because of my good looks? And I had them put on the evaluations. You know, <laughs> I'm not racist or anything, but you know, please stop picking people because they're double minorities to check a box. Never was quite sure whether serious? it was him or not, but yes. You know it was. You know it was. <laughs> he sounded like a Travis. 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 <laughs> he sounded like a Travis. <laughs> I can't like and that's the thing why are we throwing people into that to be like hey you be this proof of concept for this person who's already made up in their mind that they don't think you should be here like that's not what I'm spending my cycles on right but the problem then becomes I have a lot of thoughts oh Jeremy yeah but the problem becomes do we do we stay there because those few brown and black students need to see us and actually the white students do also need to see us or do we take our talents like LeBron said and go to an HBCU. I think we do both. I think we're needed everywhere in all these spaces, but not yeah, to be yeah. Right. And so I had to stay there. Yeah, I think that that's a u unique scenario where it's like, I mean, that's a, I need to tell my chair this nonsense is happening and we need to figure this out. Like, you don't, that's abuse. Correct. Yes, it is. Correct. I agree. And, no one should have to deal with that at their job. Like having a child essentially tell okay. you that right. you child. Mm -hmm. should, should receive instruction from them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on something they aren't trained to do. And we like, what, like I, said, I went from, yes, that, that's, I went from t Tennessee state, maybe one non-black person in class to zero black people in class other than maybe me. And mm. then this fool walking down front to tell me how to teach. Mm -mm. That's a hot mess. That is a hot mess. I had a student who literally sat under my desk because I would not change his grade. And I'm thankful for the other students who were like, look, she's the person who's grading this. So you need to do it the way she asked you to, or cause it's a 500 person class. It's this intro class. What? And I'm, he's, I'm like, I have all of these things to grade. You need to put it in this format so the auto grader can read it and won't have no problems. And he's mm -hmm. like, you're stifling my creativity. Okay, let your creativity give you a grade. Go take the art <laughs> class, this ain't it. I wanna know how you got that child from under the desk. I did it. I let him stay there. I would I would throw questions to him. I'd be like, "Hey, this for loop is what? What you say over there? Oh, nothing. You still you still big man? Okay. He got up eventually, but Ooh, that's some bratty. We gonna move that's on. Some bratty 
Oh yeah. Oh my word. Brett never probably had a black instructor, anybody they had to answer to quote unquote, that was black and he was not taking it very well. Yeah. I think this is a good segue into the black and X network movement. Yeah. And I think a lot of this came from nonsense, like what y'all are talking about, like where it's like, my experience is not your experience and y'all need to recognize our excellence and what we do. And we might need to invite Carlotta back. Yes. And maybe absolutely friend of the podcast, Dr. Monica Cox. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Unpacking of that. Cause yeah. We'll do the black and black movement. I'm Tahira. If Tahira. Yeah. You guys had Tahira on yet? Yeah. Wait, no, we have not. Yeah, yeah we invite me and Monica. Wait, which Tahira? Yeah, and the three of us together can talk about the okay. Black Next stuff. I love it. Yeah. Wait, Tahira at Purdue, right? Yes, we Tahira Reed Smith. Uh, yeah, that. she's the only Tahira I know because you yeah. know her, I, and Monica started. And actually, I'll tell you this story really quick. That Black in um, Engineering was birthed because during the pandemic and everybody was at home, Monica had come up with the idea with um, Tequila Harris at Georgia Tech to write some Mm -hmm. black women in STEM books. And we were sitting in one of our collaborative meetings, brainstorming about what the books were gonna be about. And then I think I mentioned, or somebody mentioned, did you guys see what was going on on Twitter this weekend with the whole black um, uh, black in the ivory stuff? And then we just started talking about oh, how man. all the black and the ivory stuff was mostly people in the humanities and political science. Mm-hmm. And because I, I was scrolling through it because I wanted to see what the black engineers were going to say or black CS. And there wasn't any. And I thought about God, even in the black mm-hmm. academic venting space, we're so few that probably the people who do have those degrees <laughs> are scared to say something. And that's kind of how the black and yeah. engineering yeah. Thing started. We're like, God, we can't even speak yeah. when it's going off on Twitter. So we were like, we need a community where mm-hmm. we can all speak for each other in some safe way. Mm-hmm. Well, we're uh, this is going to be a to be continued because yeah, yeah. I would love to have the founders of this to yeah. be able to come on and speak about it. And people can know how they can get involved and what it means. So, Absolutely. Well, I just want to say, like, it, it's really, truly a pleasure that you joined us. And I think... I would be remiss not to mention like how amazing it is to have an endowed chair and professor. Oh, professor. Like the highest look professor look you could be. Look at God. Look at God. <laughs> um, you know, same thing I said about my PhD. Look at God. Look at God. Because the, even the look endowed chair is a story. I didn't, I don't know. Everything mm. I do, it's kind of like being, um, having an only child. Everything I do with my child, I'm, it's the first time. So every day I'm learning and doing mm-hmm. something I've never done before. So this is the whole thing. There's yeah. no PhDs in my family. There's no engineers in my family. So when I applied for that endowed chair four or five years ago and I didn't get it, I moved on. And I had a colleague come to me and go, let me give you some advice. Your application didn't work because you didn't write your budget right. You didn't do da da da. And this was actually a white woman ally because I would have never applied to be an endowed chair again because I was like, obviously, I don't know how to do it. So, oh, well. But <laughs> that's what that comes from having sponsors and advocates and mentors mm-hmm. and people in those spaces. And accomplices. She came to me and was like, let me show you the Same with tenure. I didn't know how to write a tenure portfolio. Mm-hmm. I had a white male colleague who did robotics. 
he got tenure the year before I did and was like, here, take a look at my portfolio. Because people are real funny about you looking at things like their tenure portfolio. Yes, they are. Um, they do so, not want you to, course, even if they already got tenure. Correct. So I now have given people my PTR portfolio, my full professor portfolio. You can have anything you ask me for because it was people who gave that yep. stuff to me and I now pay that forward. But so that's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So everything that I have gotten, including that PhD, as I say, look at God, because I didn't have nobody to follow in none of those footsteps. Writing a dissertation. Mm. My advisor was like, you don't know how to write a technical paper. Well, boo, where would I have learned how to write a technical paper? Right. So. <laughs> You're supposed to teach me. This is an apprenticeship. Yes. You're supposed now, to teach me. No, that didn't. was his job. She right. Just, she just ripped me a new one until I finally figured it out. That's all. Love you, Dr. Adam. Not Stephanie. Right. Love you, Dr. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> the other Dr. Adam. But yeah, no. But you're right. And because you got to remember this other thing. PhD does not teach you how to mentor. It does not teach you how to teach. It does not teach you how to be a good mm. person nope. to connect. I've nope. gone to about 12 engineering education and teaching workshops over my lifetime because I wanted to hone my craft and be good at that. But how many PhDs who do you think mm -hmm. are going to go do that? So you got to think our PhD advisors. They just jump into the classroom. They just show up. They don't know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, say, I'm smart. Get what's inside my head. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, didn't get absolutely. it. Something wrong with you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, again, thank you. Yes, yeah. thank so you welcome. so much, Carlotta. We look forward to having you back along with everyone else. And Thank you. This was it's great. Been fun. I... Make sure you tag me when yeah. it comes out so I can amplify on all my socials. You know, I have socials. Please do. Yes. Speaking of, how can people find you on your socials? What, oh. where, where are you and how do they find you? Well, the great thing about the fact that I kind of made up the word noir stimulus is now if you Google that, all my stuff comes up because I think I'm the one who uses it. That's going to be the name of this episode. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> but you can also mm. on Twitter and on Instagram and on TikTok, it's D-R-C-A-B-E-R-O-Y. Okay. So. But yeah, I also have other channels, but -E that was one okay. as in berry, as in strawberry. But yeah, um, but yeah, I'm on all the socials because I felt like if I'm going to be hashtag my STEM is for the streets, then I got to go into the streets to meet people yeah. where they are. And our teenagers are on TikTok. <laughs> the babies are on TikTok. So but I'm on TikTok. Ooh, okay. is for the streets. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I don't even know what to do with that I've one. I've had too much time, today. like too much fun today. Like today's been yeah. exhausted, but this is like the high point right oh, now. This is, thank yeah. you, thank you too for having me. You're beautiful. Thank you so much. As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I am at Jeremy Waysom. Visit modernfiguresinc.com to learn more about our nonprofit organization aimed at promoting and engaging with women and girls interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and of course, computing. Until next time, stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business, and protect your peace.